This is Rating Descending, where we watch IMDb's worst 250 movies so you don't have to. I'm Michelle St. Clair. And I'm Abigail Ward. And this week we watched Big Mamas Like Father Like Son. Malcolm Turner and his stepson Trent go undercover at an all-girls school to flush out a killer. Let's watch. Hey, I'm sounding cool Fuck. and relaxed. That is a cougar. Oh, wow. Who's that cool cougar? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm chill. Oh, she's chill. You're chill. We're huh? all chill, baby. I'm not even anxious. Well, you know, <laughs> hey, you're well, shaking I mean, all over. I'm not even anxious. You're dry heaving and sweating into the mic. Oh, <laughs> little bit came out. Little oh. bit. That's okay. That's all right. Oh, she's still going. I mean, I'm I'm cool. Yeah, I'm you're cool. cool. I'm a cool, cute. Cu- she, oh, she's going again. I'm a cool. Cu- and this was 107.5. Uh, you were listening to Abigail cool Michelle. Cu- have a good. Oh, have cu- a good come back. That's is your impression of music on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's perfect. You nailed it. I feel like you know it's hard to not be in 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 these most unprecedented times worried like the you know we're putting a 2020 flashback (laughs) we're putting our thoughts out onto the internet and the internet's a weird thing because at at the one hand i think it's the greatest invention we've ever built as a as a species and i also think it is going to swallow us whole there's a lot of good things about the internet it helps you keep in contact with your friends and family like it's, it's going to kill us I think it's just it's just making a lot of people worse in a lot of ways. It's like it's almost like we get we can access too many things. I we I think the internet is actually the first time in human history that we have a vehicle of storing more information than the brain is capable of comprehending. Mm. Like even like I know we had more books than you could possibly read, but still fundamentally like you can read a book and understand it but like the internet is something that you literally has too much information for a single person yeah but we're outmoding our biology and it's going to kill us but in you know 10-ish years when we're trudging through the the petrol fields of clive king clive palmer's (laughs) a hellscape we'll be able to look back and go like had a pretty cool podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that we put on the internet. That we put on the internet. And now it's all gone. I'll burn it to mini disc, the one format that'll survive. <laughs> and you'll live out in a hog farm in the middle of WA. Why a hog farm? Shotgun in hand every approacher. <laughs> I can see you with that. Why am I like a farmer in Georgia? Get off my property. <laughs> Get out. I would make a little veggie farm. <laughs> with, with where I'm trying to save the gays, and I would get killed, like hunted down and killed so quickly by the neo neo Nazis. No, that's why you're in, living in seclusion in WA. Is that like you're living out and like hiding in fear? What I'm saying, trying to get to you. What I'm saying is, out of the farm gays and the neo Nazis, which one do you think is more likely to have <laughs> stockpiled enough petrol to still have vehicles in in this in this future? You underestimate. I'm saying they can get to me. The power of butch lesbians, <laughs> like you don't know what That's they can do. True. I mean, 
I'm sure in my Subaru Forester XS we could really go the whole distance. I'm really sure as well great you mileage. could probably get a couple of par- like barrels of petrol in your car if you squeeze them in enough. Yeah, you I know, could, for doomsday. I could go grab a couple barrels of petrol. Why have you got seven barrels of petrol in your backseat <laughs> when the internet explodes? Duh. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, you're going to be a hog farmer? Good luck. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear my news. I, yeah, I do. I've got some. I've had four big events this week, guys. I'm completely unaware. Yeah, Michelle doesn't know at all. Well, last time we spoke, or last time you were here, listener, it was the day before my birthday. In the past week, I had my birthday and I turned 26. And then the next day, my partner Claude proposed to me, and I proposed to him. And now we're engaged. You can't propose. That's like fi- That's like you saying, I quit when you get fired. Like, you've already been proposed to. He definitely beat me to it. Like, he, I was planning <laughs> that's how to proposal propose works. to him. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I want him to have a proposal. Let it's, me get through my list and we'll return I'm, to I'm this. Ju- I'm just saying it's, it's telling that you immediately phrased it in terms of a competition. <laughs> well, it definitely was. <laughs> it definitely was. It wasn't. <laughs> he even said to me, he was like, I couldn't let you get there first. I was like, fuck. That bitch, I'm getting it. Well, you guys are made for each other. We really are. Um, then I, on Tuesday, finished my master's, which is huge. Yeah. And it was a big weight off my shoulders. And then I got stung by a bee on my finger. Equal equal to the I put it number few. one, yeah. to be honest. And let me tell you why. I've never been stung by a bee before. And I when I when I, I I didn't know what it was when I saw the stinger stuck in my finger I thought it was like a plant or a piece of wood and I was like well I don't know if I'm allergic to this maybe I'll die I know my brother is allergic to bees so I just bolted to the pharmacy and tried to pull it out and I was getting like really wound up about it um, and now it's like this swollen hideous lump on my pinky so that's that's pretty big for me it's pretty big it itches occasionally I mean I can barely see you behind the lump yeah I'm all lump now behind the bee lump I'm all lump but no hump oh damn you don't want to be bee lumpy no you gotta be humpy <sighs> but I got engaged and yeah. I finished my mark it's huge it's I, I'll, I'll just say it now I have brought this up before but we started this podcast almost a year ago mm-hmm. and I spent many episodes last year ranting about how I would never fall in love and never find a person that I wanted to be with or commit to. I'm pretty sure you declared monogamy pointless. Monogamy uh. was a sham. Like, (laughs) I was very cynical. And then I met the absolute love of my life in December, and um, he's really changed my life in a really wonderful way, and I love him so much. Like, I really love my boyfriend and my my fiancé. Nerd! Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Spe- speaking of pods, this pod is uh, about <laughs> is about uh, to begin uh, with Big Mama's ooh. like father, like son. Wow! And like how even in the title, Big Mama is still a big daddy. What? Like father, like father, right? <laughs> Daddy. Daddy. I like that they dropped the house because there was no yeah. house involved anymore. <laughs> yeah. They were just at a uni campus or a girls' school? Uni a, campus. A girls' uni. art college. Gotcha. Yeah. Which also is annoying, though, because American universities famously have, like, fraternities and sororities, 
that they are sometimes called houses. You could have still had Big Mama's yeah. house, but instead of Big Mama's house two, you would have like Big Mama's beta house or nice. something, right? Big Mama's animal house. They're that, all wearing togas. That was for. I didn't write that down. That was fucking off the cuff. First draft, better title than like father, like son. You come up with twenty more right now. <laughs> You're on the clock. We've got thirty seconds. Big Bummers, Gamma House. Did you say Big Bummers? <laughs> Big Obamas, Sigmund Freud House. We're running out of time. We've got about seventeen seconds left. Oh shit. Fifteen. <laughs> Big Mama Hobby Bobbies. Big Mama Fraterna Boys. <laughs> We're on five seconds, Michelle. Big. Big mamas like mother like son. And time is up. Like big mama like son. Well, we'll get back to you in 24 to 48 business hours. Damn it. Um, thank you so much for making the time to come in today. <laughs> you see me scrunching up your CV and throwing it in a bin. That's how it feels. I was about to say every time I've been to an interview, I don't get interviews <laughs> when you're i was a freelance editor no but also your interviews are like copy dates i was i was part-time at a production company for four years and i was uh, actively applying to have any other job for three and a half of those years yeah. i got one interview nice how'd it go um well i thought it went really well but clearly not well enough <laughs> yeah. um did you piss on her again I think it was more a case of at the time I was 22 and the person who got the job was like 30. So they had seven years more experience doing the same job for the same pay. Fickle universe making you be born in 1994. What's that about? I don't know. You've got the heart of a 53-year-old, the body of a 12-year-old in a sexy way. Because uh, uh, teenagers are sexy, uh, right? Well, Have you not, not even read t- You're not Dolly even talking about teenagers, though. Magazines? You said 12-year-old. <laughs> Let me tell you about my life as a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should do a super cut of all the really fucked up shit I've said on this podcast. Like, he's fugly. <laughs> Let's bring fugly back. <laughs> Mixed with, you're a sexy 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine because I'm a woman and I was sexually harassed as a, pre- like as a prepubescent, so it's fine. That's just that's the cycle Ugh. by people in the street. Um, this fucking movie, obviously, like it was never going to be good. We we got to stop starting it by being like this wasn't very good. But like, can you believe it? I feel like we had a bunch of movies in a row that were at least like very distinct. Like, I'm not going to forget Human Centipede. Even Skyline, I thought, like, this is a specific movie. Yeah. This is the first in quite some time, I feel like, was just nothing. Like, so nothing. So and, like, nothing. I, it, was, it wasn't really bad enough for me to remember it, for me to get super entertained by watching it. But at the same like, I thought that some moments, it just, it felt like a normal film. Like, I wouldn't have expected it, I'm not going to lie, to be in the bottom 250, just because I didn't quite mm. think it was as bad as everything else we watched. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it's it's not good. Ra one not counted. Ra one is, like, different. And, and and Vampire in Brooklyn. Vampire in Brooklyn was great. Striptease. Friday the 13th was very good fun. It was too campy to be on the list. Fucking Highlander we also loved. Yeah. But this was just, like, very, like, meh. I would yeah. have watched this on free-to-air TV and... Not found it a waste. I mean, it was a waste of my time. Not found it dismal. I just thought that it was like, yeah, very like, it'd be high on my rating. Just to give you a little insight into what I'll be rating it tonight. It was higher than most. I just, I, I, I think my biggest thing with it was it was just, it has the same problem as some of the other comedies on this list, but also just bad comedies in general. And that like, 
chronically low energy. Mm. Why are there so many of these comedies that just like insist on being so low energy and flat the whole time? Taxi was bad, but like it was fucking yelling at you at least. (laughs) I mean, this film started with Ken Jeong playing a postal worker Uh that gets beaten up by the main character. And I was like, well, that's such a kind of a fun start. I mean, Ken Jeong. I disagree. I did not find that opening scene very much of anything. It kind of felt like, you know, like the opening of like a Disney Channel original movie where something silly is happening. But again, it's like just too loose, you know? Yeah. And like I... So I forgot that he's obviously a cop. Like, he's, he works for the FBI. Yeah. And I watched Big Mama's House 1 a lot as a kid, so I am quite oh, wow. familiar with it. Oh, wow. I didn't it. know that. It was always on free-to-air TV, so I'd always watch it. And I thought it was, like, kind of funny. I was like, oh, my God. Like, in the same vein of, like, finding a Eddie Murphy film where he's playing various members of a family around it, a table. It's so funny that you bring up The Nutty Professor, because you know Nutty Professor 2 is on this list. Yeah, baby. <laughs> but there was, like, that really, like, very stereotypical trope of black-led comedies in yeah. the early 2000s, and this was a perfect example of one. I loved it as a kid. So coming into it, I was like, fuck, I forgot he was in the FBI because I found it really odd when all of a sudden he was chatting to his associate being like, well, there's a missing music box and these guys are... I was like, yeah. what the fuck? I forgot that there's actually, like, an action cop element to these films. Well, but, but that's what... I mean, I really want to talk about that, but first I'll do the overview. <laughs> FBI agent Malcolm Turner is excited to learn that his stepson Trent has been accepted to university. However, Trent wants Malcolm to instead sign his recording contract to support his career as a rapper. Malcolm finds out from an informant that a flash drive containing evidence on a Russian mobster, Cherkov, has been hidden at the Georgia Girls School for the Arts. However, the informant's cover is blown and he is killed. Trent, having followed Malcolm to get his signature, witnesses this, and during the pair's escape, Trent's car is left behind, giving the mobsters a lead to find them. Wanting to kill two birds with one stone, Malcolm redons his disguise as Big Mama to get a Yo! job <laughs> to get a job as house mother at Georgia Girls to find the flash drive, dressing Trent up as his grandniece Charmaine to keep him safe from the mob in the process. The two of them struggle to both find the flash drive and adjust to life at this cutthroat school for the arts. Trent starts to fall for a girl named Haley and arranges a date between her and his real self. On the date, he is spotted by the mobsters who realize he is hiding at the school, but he also finds that Haley knows where the box containing the drive is. At the final musical showcase, Trent's cover is blown, Haley storms off, and a final standoff between them, the Russians, and Malcolm occurs. Before they are all killed, the school's janitor, Curtis Cool, arrives with a taser and saves the day. Trent and Haley reconcile, Trent agrees to go to the university, and he and Malcolm agree to keep the entire film a secret from Trent's mother. Nice. Which I thought was a really weird way to handle that. It always ends with either a talent show... Yeah. A school dance. But where does the mum think they were for a few days? Because she's on like a, a retreat, so she's not oh, home. Oh, okay. He, so he calls her at the beginning and he's just like, I'm trying to talk to my wife. And they're like, she's on a retreat, so you can't talk to her for the next three days. Uh, I mean, this this movie is impossible to focus on. It's, oh, yeah. It, it's I like going to a fun house where everything is out of focus. Like I, When you said the associate was killed, I missed that. Wow, that's like one of the only bits I was able to I really... saw everything else around it. I was like, he died? I, had I was to... watching that film. I was watching it and I had to re-watch some scenes because I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't think I... I think I just didn't 
know what happened in that scene. I will, I will say overall, I found this a very watchable film. That's that's my thing. Again, that's where my bar is at. And I didn't want to actually just like, it didn't fill me with misery. Like mm. some films <laughs> have done. <laughs> so I was grateful. I think after the trauma of last week, yeah. I was like, oh, give me some shit American fucking 2010s comedy i'm here for it but it's it's watchable for the same reason that i described it as hard to focus on in that it occupies literally zero brain space it is a vacant film i would have gotten the same emotional because like film is experiential right the Mm. whole thing of what the medium is doing is that a character is going through a series of emotions and the audience is feeling that with the character yeah that's why the, the you know when they have that emotional catharsis you too have an emotional catharsis in this movie, my emotional journey was the same as if I had instead just sat there. I was also very confused in the beginning. Like, it's not just that these movies are low energy. It's that, like, it's a comedy. It's not an action comedy, right? It's not, like, rush hour, right? It's, it's technically meant to be an action film because there is, like, a, the, the surface level goal is around a fucking, like, bunch of fucking villains and there's a stick and they're trying it, to get to it. But it builds itself. It's it's presenting and marketing itself to you as just a comedy. It's not an action comedy, which I think is part of the source of his problems. If it was an action comedy like Shanghai Nights, which I know you've brought up, you love that movie, right? I mean, Be- Shanghai Noon is better. Because but it was so good. If, if you lean into the action side of it, then you give yourself space to make the action scenes tense. Mm. In this, n- none of the action has any tension it whatsoever. Is definitely, when I think about Big Mama's House 1, it definitely markets itself as a comedy with action elements. And yeah. same with this, it's just that the action elements are so shockingly bad because a lot of screenwriters mistake a sense of conflict or tension with just someone holding a gun yeah. and being like, gotcha. Well, and then everyone's just standing there. And then everyone's standing there and then they try and fight them off and then another guy comes back with a different gun. Like, it's just bland action screenwriting. I, I do want to say, though, in, uh, from a writing perspective, you can have a scene where people are just... Stand- like, Leone made a career of just having people stand there not shooting each other. Yeah, right? because he was building tension. Yeah. No one had the hand on the gun, though. Uh-huh. That's the whole point. Ooh. Whereas this guy's got his hand on the gun, raised at a face, and you're like, well, now what? And then they just... And what I hate He's in those... not going to shoot. ...is when they cut to the wide for two reasons. One is that you're cutting out. You're, that's literally a release of tension, yeah. right? You, you are cutting away from the action and the emotional engagement, and instead I'm just looking at the scene. And then the other side of it is like... It makes it less tense because then all I see is them just standing there and it just makes them look small and silly. They look silly. They always look silly. When there's someone just standing there pointing a gun outright and then there's like three people just standing there going, oh, I'm like, this is is silly now. (laughs) Just be creative. If you're going to make action films, you you have to rise escalation and stakes and you need to give them new threats. It can't be a fucking series of guns that are pointed at someone's face. And by the way... I just want to say before I forget, yeah, sure. you bringing up Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights. I love that kind of shitty era of comedy in the early 2000s, mid 2000s of like the fucking frat pack making these like Starsky and Hutch and Anchorman and Dodgeball and things like Shanghai Nights and Shanghai Noon, which are kind of on the outskirts of the frat pack group. I loved those comedies mm. and they're not good. They're badly made, but they're just so they know what they are. And yeah. it's dumb enjoyment. And I, this film also does know what it is. It's just that this film 
doesn't actually have it's not funny enough to get away with the moments of bad action and also i mean the shanghai nights and shanghai noon has jackie chan's martial arts going on and that's just actually it's, fun and interesting and visually engaging to watch it's harder and harder to find a studio comedy in general i mean i feel like the last the most recent really good solid comedy with action elements i watched was game night which was i love game night shockingly good i mean game night is just a good film it's not even yeah uh, you can't even question it it's actually just impeccable i I thought it i went in i thought it was going to be like yeah you know it's like in the same league as those movies but it was actually really good fantastically structured in our course it was brought up as a reference again and again yeah guys go and watch game night because it's not just (laughs) like a good time it's not just a perfectly structured film with a lot of twists and turns it's also got a really good like they set up perfectly max as a character Mm. And Annie, they're highly competitive. They're very much in love, but they're trying to have a baby. And he can't have a baby until he gets over his terrible relationship with his brother. And his brother's in town. This, the conflict that is set up, sounds interesting on paper. Oh, they're they're being chased by a mob while they're undercover looking for the evidence. But but then what that means is that the, the second act is they hang out. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is even uh, if you have a film like this that is subpar and it's action elements again if you've got good comedy moments you can get away with it which is why big mama's house didn't have good action elements but it was actually like i think people enjoyed it but it still wasn't a great film i need you to know right now that big mama's house one has 5.2 out of 10 on imdb yeah it's it's an odd reference point for what it did well (laughs) i think that like literally the reason it got away with it is that it was technically funny because they hadn't seen the shtick before of this man dressing up. Yes, as they Big had Mama. with Tyler Perry as Medea. No, but that's this character oh, as sure. Big Mama. <laughs> okay. They genuinely hadn't. When you're watching it as a kid, and even like my mom would watch Big Mama's House and be like, this is dumb and shitty, but I haven't seen this before and it's kind of fun. It's when you fucking get into the area of the sequels where you're really just fucking beating a dead horse <laughs> and doing the same comedic shtick again and again that it is. There's like Big Mama's House wasn't a very good comedy. But it had fresh elements that made people engaged with it. Yeah. This didn't have the fresh elements, so it was just bad comedy. Yeah. Because I hadn't seen Big Mama's House 1 and 2. Like, I'd heard of them. But also, I didn't do the thing that I often do where I watch the the before movies if we're watching a sequel. Um, I wasn't expecting this much singing. Yeah, that was... <laughs> In Big Mama's House 1, there's a lot of choir singing because they're going to church all the time. There's a Big Mama's House soundtrack. There you go. This was... um. Yeah, the the song elements it, was something else. It really came out of nowhere, and like the, when they're all in like the fucking like cafeteria singing around Big Mama, saying "Go Mama, Go Mama." The transition of him rapping into pre-recorded singing was so jarring. Also, the audio work on basically putting in their fucking auto-tuned voices <laughs> no work whatsoever. So bad. Brandon T. Jackson cannot sing, no. and he is clearly someone who insisted on singing. <laughs> But it did do one of my favorite movie tropes in that scene, which is someone sings a song and everyone goes feral. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it made me think of Status Quo in High School Musical. Like, everyone starts singing and then everyone's like, yeah! Someone sings a song and everyone goes feral sounds like a fucking Friday night at circuit to me. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I love that. Like, it's it's, it's one of my favorite parts of any musical is the scene where someone just starts singing and then everyone around them is like, whoa, ah, ah, and they just, like, get swept up into the singing. Yeah. Way better than all of the, like, one person singing. Ugh, whatever. I was thinking about when they were all like, hey, go mama, go mama. And Big Mama's just twerking on the table. And I was like, which screenwriter wrote that in a script 
and then wanted to hang himself after. <laughs> I um. I wanted to make art. Matthew Fogel. Matthew Fogel. Has I'll, he done anything else of note? Uh, I'll I'll get into it. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, also in that scene, I love, again, you hear him rapping clearly on set, and then suddenly he's rapping, and it's definitely pre-recorded. Haley's like, playing the piano, and then she all of a sudden is like, oh, yeah, like, full R&B, and it, compressed vocals, auto-tuned, all That's of That's what it. I mean like, when it transitions to the auto-tuned, auto-tuned vocals that they had done, obviously, off of set. It just sounds so bizarrely it doesn't, dissimilar it to doesn't the sound of them look talking. like they're yeah. possibly doing it. It's like, incredibly bad. So. Incredibly bad. But one of your benchmarks for these films is if it looks like a movie. And it didn't sound like a movie, but it looked like a movie. So that's yeah. something. Um, I, one thing I didn't understand about the plot. So Big Mama gets a job as a house mother. I had to Google what a house mother was. I had no idea what that is. Seems like she just keeps people in line. It's, it's like a live-in maid of a place. So I guess I didn't realize American colleges had that. American colleges are fucked up. We've said that before on this podcast. Sometimes I, I, I find out things about, like from a movie and I'm like, what is that? And I look it up and I'm like, is this an is is this a movie thing and it's weird to Americans or is this an American thing because of in- incredible wealth inequality, class structure and historical racism? Like, Sometimes I don't understand. I see things in American films and I'm like, surely that can't be real. And then I look it up and it's totally real. I thought they were kidding when they talked about like adding tax to the to when they buy things. No. I, I didn't... Fuck, you have to keep all your receipts. How and does then tally that, it I don't even understand how that works. You you see an item that says three dollars, but then it's actually more than that. No, but they do that in sense. the UK as well, which is really bizarre. When they have tax time, they have to go through all their fucking receipts. Even when they were in the EU, because the EU does a flat VAT. VAT. There's that little fucking bit in Black Books where he has to do his tax, and it's literally he's like got a bag of receipts that he's trying to sort through. That's so. So I'm basing my entire knowledge of the British tax system on one episode of Black Book. I just I don't understand the idea of like going into a shop and it's like chips four dollars and I'm like excellent and then they're like great that'll be four fifty eight and I'm like what yeah what the fuck yeah what's the hell I I love GST. <laughs> we haven't talked about one of the things that I really wanted to talk about outside of the Buck Wild singing was the janitor Curtis Cool. Was maybe the only funny part of it. Yeah, I agree. He was entertaining. I agree. Him being there as like an old school DJ, like actually uh, record scratching like fucking Grandmaster Flash. That was fun. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. He was trying. And I think that's what I liked about it. Yeah, he had some good lines. There was that line note where he said, sister, are you a brother? That was actually a good line. Yeah. It was funny. This is a film that contains cross-dressing. We've we've experienced, we've seen a lot of transphobia in these films. For a film about people cross-dressing, I didn't think it crossed that many lines. You know what I mean? Like, there was a couple of lines. Like, afterwards, he was like, oh, man, that happens to me all the time. And I was like, yeah, classic joke about men getting duped into having sex with someone with a dick. I did go in expecting it to be more transphobic. So that's a a good outcome. Me too. I will say it does do... It's more misogynistic because it makes fun of fucking women, but whatever. <laughs> it, I'll it, take it. It does do, uh, I, I use the word favorite, ironically, obviously, but one of my favorite things to watch, which is watch straight people, and I know for, literally for a fact that some of these people involved are homophobic. They love getting straight people into a gender swap situation, mm. and they're like, their desperation in creating straight romance overpowers their homophobia to the 
point where they create incredible homoeroticism. Like, <laughs> Haley and Charmaine. <laughs> Gay icons. Well, yeah. Like, I'm going to write some fanfic about them. It's, like, so desperate to, like, say, no, they're not lesbians. They're just, it's just that this straight woman is in love with this other woman. Yeah. Because he, because she's actually a man. Yeah. That's not what she they're knows. Implying, they're like, yeah, she's getting romantic feelings, but she's confused. And at the end of the film, she finds out he's a man so she can pursue it. And it's like, even if she didn't find out it was a man, she can pursue yeah, it. It's like in Mulan. Like, he's in love with Mulan yeah. before he knows she's a woman. Yeah. Like, it, it's so common in all these movies. Ancient China's a bit tough, though. <laughs> Ancient China was probably a tough time to be gay. Sure, but it's not actually ancient China. It was 90s US. Hey. <laughs> you know, that's that's my, honestly, that's my comeback every time something is set at a time that's not now. It's like, well, it's actually not that time and we don't need to adhere to those rules. It's true. Some people with historical accuracy would argue against that, but... Well, but also, for, I mean, for one thing, they're movies. They don't need to be historically accurate, but well, also... It's actually a Disney movie with the talking dragons. But also, yeah, exactly. Like, if there's talking dragons, he can just be a bi-man in ancient China. That's fine. Um, but also, when we talk about historical accuracy, a lot of the time we're actually talking about the accuracy to our view of the past, mm. and that's not always very historically accurate. It's true, because as much as I joke, in ancient China, there was, it was probably far easier to be gay, because you could do a lot more things in privacy and secret. Well, yeah, it's, it's, you couldn't live openly as a gay person, but you could definitely pursue gay activities. I've seen it somewhat summarized as like the, cycling the tiffany knitting. paradox because tiffany, tiffany paradox. was a relatively common medieval name but if you had something set in the medieval era and had a character called tiffany people would say that doesn't fit it's not yeah. historically accurate it's like how in english things they're like calling out textbooks for featuring rome having had black people mm. and it's like they did they, mm. they had colonized a lot of north africa I which mean, was filled with black people a lot of people pointed out that like due to the age of enlightenment in particular and, like, I mean, even before that, the Age of Enlightenment brought a lot more rational thinking and, and a scientific approach to things, which is why the fact that Australia was settled in the 1700s means that we are a far less religious country than, say, the US that was settled two, 200 years prior. By Puritans. By Puritans. But I remember reading that during the Age of Enlightenment, like, essentially they... So think of Othello, right? Mm. Othello is a Moor. He is a black character and he's a man in a position of power respected by white people. Yeah. That got dismantled during the Renaissance. That yeah. That structure. Like, racism returned. Well, but, <laughs> but that's the, like, the ancient Romans didn't care if you were black or white. Yeah. They cared if you it's were Roman more, or not Roman. It's a more modern concept, like... Just the, yeah. th that white equals holiness. Color-based racism mm. and, like, the distinct categories of straight and gay are yeah. very modern concepts. 100 And, again, they were something that really flourished in the 17 and 1600s. In yeah. the 1500s, around the time that Othello was set, it was perfectly natural in a lot of European cities to have people of color being in positions of power. Yeah. Because there wasn't enough, like, art and literature to support the fact that they weren't as pure because yeah. they weren't white. And, and that's what I mean when I say, like, historically accurate is usually bogus, mm. because what we actually do is we go, well, we're now, and we assume that we're more progressive and ahead of every single issue. Yeah. Thus, if it's set then, it should be more of my view of bad. Yeah. And that's actually not historically true. We really do project what we're living through now onto older times. We don't have a full understanding of what society yeah. was like fucking 500 years ago. Yeah, and, like, I, you, you don't hate that a black person is in this movie set in 400 AD mm. like because it's historically inaccurate you just both don't understand history and don't like black people yeah. like that's just you know just admit that and then we can work on it yeah. no <laughs> 
No. <laughs> I love being ignorant. As if John Mulaney was very ignorant. That's my wife. I can't believe <laughs> Not they anymore. split. Yeah. Mm. People gave him a really hard time about... He's literally, like, going through rehab. Well, yeah, it's it's also just, like, I don't know. It's a personal decision. We actually don't know the ins and outs of it. It's just that he left her and everyone's like, you're a bastard. Because we've done a really good job at calling out celebrities for unchecked abusive power, mm. I feel like we also now aren't letting, aren't letting people with any notoriety make mistakes or be, like... You know, like, it's a complicated thing. If yeah. if someone gets divorced, it's not because they're a bad person. Mm. That's really weird and kind of conservative. Yeah, it's literally like John Mulaney was in rehab because he relapsed with alcoholism, which we all already knew was an issue for him. Mm. And he's in there for, like, substance abuse with cocaine as well. And it's like, yeah, he's having a very tough time physically and mentally. And it sounds like his relationship may have simply broken down or he made a choice that is just good for him and his sobriety. Yeah, We don't know. It's not our business. It's not our business. But that's my ex-wife. And I like being ignorant. <laughs> I don't think there were black people in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> I demand you carry on the rest of this podcast in your John Mulaney accent. Can do, I have some trivia, John? Do you want to hear some trivia? Yes, I do. <laughs> trivia. Okay, so at first I was really worried about doing the trivia uh, but then I did some extra research and I found enough to be interesting, nice. I think. So first thing, Brandon T. Jackson, plays Trent, has since regretted appearing in the film and dressing in drag because he believes God punished him for wearing drag in a movie. <laughs> um, he also said he down. was on watch from God because of his portrayal of Al Pacino in Tropic Thunder, who comes out as gay during the film. <laughs> So you know how we haven't heard much of Brandon Jackson since 2011, Big Mama's Like Father, Like Son? Well, according to him, it's because God was just punishing him for wearing drag. Wow. That's a big pill to swallow. (laughs) Earlier when I said, I know for a fact that some of these people are homophobic. That's what I meant. That's rough. (laughs) It's really rough. Oh, man. I didn't even know what to say. Um, while watching this, I started researching Martin Lawrence and I was reading about some of the things that Martin Lawrence did and I immediately was struck by the thought, is Tracy Jordan from 30 Rock inspired by Martin Lawrence? <laughs> there was even a point Martin Lawrence in real life said they're trying to kill me whilst like in his underwear, which is a scene that happens word for word Where in 30 Rock. Where was he when he said that? I think he was just on the street. What the fuck? He, he did a lot of weird shit. And in the original pilot, Jordan is named Lawrence Jordan. However, Tracy Morgan considers Martin Lawrence a mentor after they met at Def Jam. And he said, quote, no, no, it has nothing to do with Martin Lawrence. Don't believe what you read in the internet. No, that character was based on other people. Right. <laughs> so this character who does... Literally things that Martin Lawrence did. Uh, not based on Martin Lawrence. No, of course not. No. So, To Tracy Morgan's defense, though, Tracy Jordan also does a lot of things that Eddie Murphy and Tracy Morgan did. So I guess it's just not exclusively based on Martin Lawrence. No, it's based on a plethora of Martin Lawrence adjacent people. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Ken Jeong was nominated for Worst Supporting Actor at the Razzies for this film, (laughs) despite only being on screen for one and a half minutes. What? I thought he was one of the better parts. 
Yeah, he's one of the better parts of this movie. He's on screen for less than two minutes. And he was and nominated for a Razzie. Supporting actor. Wasn't Ken, Ken Jeong one of the highest paid actors of, like, all time for a year? Like, he was, well, like, the highest no, paid no, actor no. of the year? No, no, He wasn't the highest paid. He was the highest grossing oh, actor. so he was in enough big films. He appeared in The Hangover and... Uh, Transformers 3. On the same year. In the same year, yeah. which for that year were the top two performing films. Ah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, he was very memorable in The Hangover. I remember I looked into The Hangover because I did a Quest film similar for my major project. And I read that the set had really good vibes and everyone got along so well. They became really close buddies. And Aww. Ken Jeong's wife got cancer and oh. all of the staff, like the cast members, like dr- helped drive him and her to appointments and really like coached him through some of the darker days. Like Ken Jeong was like working on that set was one of the most fantastic experiences of my life. They really got me through a tough time. And I wow. was like, the hangover? Yeah. Cool. He, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a cool guy. Also like fucking I Mike Tyson. I hate his stand up, but I, he's a cool guy. Mike Tyson was in that film for a brief moment. He cameoed and he said when he cameoed for those two days on set, he was fucking high as shit on coke and chatting to some of the cast members really put into perspective the fact that he needed to quit so he went sober after his appearance on the hangover because of how communal and kind everyone was on the hangover set all like the main cast members especially obviously zach and ed helms and bradley cooper they just became really solid buddies oh wow the three of them that's nice um and here's a piece of uh trivia so when watching this movie, I had the same thought as with Soul Plane, which is I really want to be... And also, like, you know how, like, when we watched Hannah Montana or LOL, where it's like, I don't want to dunk on this and then realize later, oh, do I just hate this because teenage girls like it? Or in the case of Soul Plane or this, do I just hate it because it's something for black people and it's mm. not for me, right? R- really wanted to make sure of that. So, you know, because in Soul Plane, we were like, well, this is made by black people and also had... a fun in it i was curious about this one so i checked of the key crew the only black people i could find was darice rollins an associate producer kim coleman one of the three casting agents and martin lawrence was an executive producer that means of the key crew who were white was the director both writers seven of the eight producers the composer the cinematographer the editor Two of the three casting agents, the production designer, art director, costume designer, set decorator, the line producer, the unit manager, and all five of the special thanks. That's uncomfortable. I noticed that all the people in the film that were white were either evil or stupid. And I was like, cool. All right. Like, even, like, the supporting characters that weren't black tended to be, like, they looked like Asian American, essentially. Mm. Just, like, Mia. Very diverse cast. Haley seemed, like, yeah, I, I... I'm not going to guess as much here. But <laughs> no, 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 that's our podcast. Were not, they were mostly people of color. Yeah. And the white people were either dumb or stupid. So I was like, that's kind of nice, but that's shit. Yeah. It's, I wanted to check it because it's been a really good conversation recently, especially with something I'm more familiar with, trans and LGBT representation. In terms of like, sometimes things get away with just doing it on screen, but the actors on screen aren't the people who actually hold the power. You know, if if they're not in the crew as well, it's a ho- really, really hollow victory. Mm. If it's a black movie not made by black people, you're not actually elevating black people at all. Yeah. You're making content for black people, but it's not helping anyone. Yeah, It doesn't change that system. Like, this is an example of something that is 
made by white people for black people. And I, I think Martin Lawrence is the only black person involved who got enriched at all by yeah. it. Like, that's not a good way to solve these problems of diversity. Mm. It's like when we talk about women in film, yeah, there's lots of movies with women in it and there's still a problem with not many female protagonists. But also, even when there are female protagonists, it's still over 90% of studio films have male directors. Like, Mm. it's not actually helping just having them on screen. It needs to be behind screen. They need to be making the art. It's true. So I thought I wanted to check and I was very horrified. (laughs) I did check Big Mama's House 1 and at the very least, that also had a black writer and producer. Nice. That's something. That is something. Um... Do you want to hear some reviews? Yeah, baby. Reviews! I got one critic review (laughs) because I thought it was (laughs) so strange, even though I agreed with the second half of it. Mike Hale of the New York Times notes strong similarities to Some Like It Hot and (laughs) describes Faze on Love's performance as honestly the only funny thing in the whole film. Yeah. (laughs) Strong similarities to Some Like It Hot. (laughs) Um, here is one review from IMDb called Funny with a Serious Storyline by I- Ickwater. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I love this movie, but I haven't seen it in years. Loved it back then and still love it. So this person went out of their way to oh. drop a review after oh, yeah. not watching it for years. Yep. It occurred to them that the movie existed and it, like, they had to <laughs> give IMDb a piece of their mind. I actually love this one out of all the Big Mama movies, as this is the only one I would repeatedly watch. I'm so glad that they've really ranked and (laughs) and they've thought it through. The Big Mama trilogy deserves a lot of in-depth critique and analysis. For the past week, I kept singing slash humming some of the words from the Baby You Know song. Totally forgot it came from this movie until I decided to search for the lyrics the other day. I then went on Uh, demand and found it and watched it. Was scrolling through my channels this evening and saw that it was on, so watched it again. Right. Unfortunately, just came across an article that Brandon T. Jackson regretted playing that role. (laughs) I don't know why, because I loved how he had to go undercover in disguised. He loved the premise. It's funny, even though there are a couple serious messages in it. 10 out of 10. (laughs) What serious messages in it? (laughs) Be careful of USB sticks and music boxes. Just don't mess with the Russian mobs. <laughs> and go mama. This is a review called uh, Big Mamas Like Father Like Son by... Astute. Y- by Yahya Basaran. And that's all one word. L- less astute. Um, by the way, I had to cut out three paragraphs of this review because they were just poorly written. I'm glad. And just explain the plot of the movie. Yeah. So this is this is the last paragraph. Sometimes you've got a tailor. Opinion. Big Mamas, like Father Like Son, Strong is an star. American comedy movie which contains American humor. <laughs> Tell the, me more. The passage in which Turner The Passage. <laughs> the passage. Oh, so it's biblical now, is it? <laughs> the passage in which Turner talks with a white person on the phone occurs a typical American humor scene. Ah, the typical American humor scene that we love and know so well. The white person calls him chocolate, and this is a situation humor. <laughs> Turner as, Turner, as Big Mama, is pretty and gives spontaneous reactions. Pretty. His jokes are simple and you don't require any background knowledge. You don't want that. So I think that this is a great American comedy movie because the jokes were easy and it amused me. From my viewpoint, this is a much must-watch movie! Look, 10 out of 10. Succinct, 
they had points. Not succinct. There were three more paragraphs. <laughs> that paragraph was succinct. Can't say I agree. I, it's like what I appreciate it. Like it's it's Hemingway esque. <laughs> and the fields were cold and brutal. Yeah. And the men lay dying. You know. And the women lay crying. This is a review for the masses. No one's going to misunderstand it. <laughs> well, what was your review? It was watchable. I didn't want to scream into a pillow when I watched it. Not too long. I I found it. I just didn't think it deserved to be so low on the list considering the things that we watched before it. So it's quite high as a rating for me. Mm. The performances weren't the worst performances we've seen so far. I paid attention to most of it. And yeah, uh, it didn't emotionally cripple me. It wasn't human centipede. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a solid... 4.1 out of 10. Ooh. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay. What about you? Well, I I I feel I hate reviewing reviewing a movie like this because on the one hand, you know, I've I've intentionally made my scale wide. I've said before repeatedly, I hate the system that we've developed where 7 is average because yeah. that's not how numbers work. We've we've decided 5 is the good year. A good year. Yeah, exactly. We now have a thing, like, if someone tells you this movie is a 7 out of 10, they're telling you it's not that good. Yeah. But that's not what that means. And there's so many mm. movies. You need to really expand your perception, yeah. right? So, you know, I really think the low numbers should be reserved for abysmal movies. Mm. And this isn't one of the more abysmal exactly. movies on this list. But I also think it's fundamentally boring, and that is almost a greater cinema crime than anything else, because it it's not even trying. And I really don't want to reward it for that. I'm going to give it a 3.7. Nice. Three, yeah, it's less than a 4 for me, but it's not as bad as some of the other things we've said. That was Big Mama's Like Father Like Son. You can follow us on Twitter at RateDescendPod or email us at RatingDescending at gmail.com. Or you can find us on our personal handles. I am Abigail J. Wood on Insta. And I'm Michelle.StClair on both Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a difference. And if you love us, you'll do it. And if you hate us, you wouldn't do it. So yeah. think about that. Just think about ruminate that. ruminate on that. But before you think about that, Abby, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are watching Bitch Slap. Hey. I don't know anything it, it, about it. It's going to be the 50th episode. And oh, it looks yeah. like some real B-movie rubbish. Yeah. Yeah, Let's this is it. Let's sink our teeth into it. Looks like the women are sexy. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell what we'll be ranting about next week. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's doing it ironically, but maybe it's also doing a sucker punch where it's trying to do it as a point, but then the point is still sexist. Yeah. So, fucking tune in as we celebrate 50 of these movies. Fucking hell. We're a fifth of the way through. Yeah. Almost. See you next week.